Are you opening your Nexus 5 right now? Yeah, looking at the box. So if everybody can hear tension in the air, it's because as we're recording, Dave is staring at an unopened Nexus 5 box yep. that is sitting on his desk right now. Yep. This is going to be a very short show today. <laughs> <laughs> I got work to do. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Um, how's your week? Good. Good. So I was uh, watching Warehouse 13 with my daughter, and uh, I don't know if you ever saw that show. Um, no, no, actually, I, I, yeah, I, Netflix keeps recommending it to me, but I've, I've never seen it. Yeah, Lauren likes it. It's it's basically sort of like X Files, where these two, or it's a cross between like X Files and Bones, where um, this man and a woman they have things in this warehouse that escape, and then they track them down and they bring them back. It's kind of like Raiders of the Lost Ark, how they take stuff and bring it back, and uh, the, and and so. There's this one scene where they were uh, the the one character got possessed by some evil spirit or a demon or something like that, and you the the other actors couldn't they didn't know that that person was whether they were the real person or the possessed person, and uh, and I'm sitting there watching with Lauren, and I said, you know what, Lauren, they ought to come up with a touring test to figure out the difference between uh, possessed people and non-possessed people. And Lauren's just there watching a show, and she's like, yep. And then it's like I look at her, and I'm I'm like, well, did she just say yes just so she could keep on watching the show, or did she not understand what a Turing test was and all that? So it's like I pause it, and I said, uh, um, well, do you know what a Turing test is? And she said, well, yeah, it's like we covered it in, in computer class and uh, – uh, in computer science class, and uh, she brought up this website that she, there's. I, I'll have to put it in the show notes where you could have a conversation with uh, some web bot and all that. It's actually better than Eliza from back in the day. It's pretty good. Yeah, I'll I'll dig that link up. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and then Sunday I'm going to see Laura and I are going to see the Steelers play the Browns in Cleveland, right up on Lake Erie, and uh, <laughs> it should be balmy. Yeah, the, the high is going to be 27 with the real feel of 14 and a 59% chance of particip- uh, precipitation. So, Well, and a 100% chance of participation. Yeah, right. So I told her, I told Lauren, it's like, you know, good news is that we won't get rained on um, at the at the event, um, you know, because it'll be snow at best. <laughs> so she's thrilled. God, how do you how do you prepare for something like that? I just I, you know I you know I grew up in the tropics, so I don't that, yeah that I did I have not attended any outdoor events uh, you know that when it's been that cold. So like how do you how do you prepare for something like that? And and you would think it would be miserable, um, but it's not that bad. Um, if if you you got a layer, you know, it's just like when somebody goes skiing or, um, you know, uh, snowmobiling or whatever. You you got to just wear, you know. Uh, you know, long johns and ski pants and, you know, the hand warmers, you know, that you buy that, that, uh, you know, that you open up in the air and then they warm your hands and everything. But, uh, you just got to layer up and try to keep everything covered. And the most important thing is making sure that they sell hot chocolate. Otherwise Lauren loses interest and then we'd have to go home early. So, 
as long as I keep pouring hot chocolate down her throat, you know, she's she's like a happy kid and and mm-hmm. we enjoy the game. So it's yeah. it's pretty good. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, and the and the hardship has to be, uh, you know, at least half of the of the fun of it, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I saw. So we saw the Steelers play the Browns up in Cleveland um, when it was it was the coldest game ever um, in Cleveland Browns Stadium, like ever, and and it was um, minus fourteen before the wind chill factor was factored in. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was. But we we were all bundled up and we had a good time, so it was it was all right. And they had hot chocolate. I I. I that's lunacy. That's lunacy. I, the, the temperature here just got down to the 40s. We had a cold front come in today, and uh, and it's mm, it's chilly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's amazing to me. Um, all right. Well, let's let's uh, let's get this thing going here. I, it, so, Dave, what do we have uh, queued up for this week? Yeah, so let's see if people can pick up on a theme here. So we're talking about U.S. government bitcoins, uh, skeuomorphic bitcoins, uh, TSA coin flips. Twitter drops a dime on the U.S. government. Uh, U.S. or I'm sorry, open source software payload this week in the federal IT awards season, and R two cents on Rel six five and Fedora twenty. If folks want to learn more about our dime obsession, uh, they can go to uh, dgshow.org. Uh, D is in Dave, G is in Gunner, show.org. And just one item on the cutting room floor this week, uh, because you only need one horrifying clown cover of Lord's Royals. Uh, it, it, this video is haunting. Um, mm. I, can't, I can't stop watching it. So let's start with some follow-up. I put out the uh, notice uh, last episode that I uh, was looking for some alternatives to Remember the Milk uh, mm-hmm. and our good friend Izoma uh, threw out the suggestion that uh, with the advent of the new Google Keep application, which is kind of this ubiquitous capture tool, um, which when combined with the Google Reminders uh, is now an actual like, viable alternative to a traditional like task management system. And I took a look at it. It's pretty cool. Um, it'll send you reminders, uh, based on, you know, obviously date and time, uh, but it'll also do uh, location aware mm-hmm. reminders, which is mm-hmm. pretty cool. Um, you have to give it a specific location though. So, mm. uh, you know, you have to say, uh, you know, the corner of the street and this street remind me of X, Y, Z. Um, I think the, the Holy grail for me is being able to do a location just based on a search, uh, so being able to say location drugstore, so not if I pass a specific drugstore, but if I pass any drugstore, I want to be reminded that I have stuff on my drugstore list. Yes. Um, that would be super cool. Um, yeah, the only app I know that does that is is OmniFocus, as far as I know. But um, anyway, I, you know, I've spent the last week kind of struggling with this task management thing, uh, and you know how I get. It's a lot of soul searching. Um, and I'm, and I'm starting to realize that maybe I've been trying to overload this search for new software with kind of some bad assumptions. Um, because really I'm Mm -hmm. trying to solve a number of different problems, right? I need a way of managing my tasks. Um, I need to manage my calendar. I need a way of receiving reminders. There's some project management in there. Also there's note taking. And -hmm. then there's kind of the ubiquitous capture aspect of this where anything that comes into my head, like, Oh, I have to do this. Like I want to get that out of my head and into, uh, and into an inbox, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Each of those are like different tasks. Some software will do two or three of those tasks. 
uh, well, uh, some of that software will do none of those tests. I mean, and so now I'm starting to think like maybe instead of looking for like the one holy grail task management system, which with like a great deal of contortion, I've been able to make Remember the Milk do most of this stuff for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe I need to maybe I need to fragment this thing. Maybe I need to break it up, break it off into different tools, um, uh, which makes the search even more complicated. Because now I got to find the perfect calendar tool and the perfect reminder tool and the perfect project management. I, I'm, I'm basically I'm exhausting myself uh, at yes. this point. Uh. <laughs> well, I, I think if you had them. It would be nice if they were loosely coupled and then they could all be updated independently or you could swap Mm -hmm. one out for another. But if there was Mm -hmm. some sort of linkage between them, that's where it would be really valuable. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think um, a a couple kind of base assumptions that I have here is like Markdown, right? And like plain Mm -hmm. text files is going to be kind of a building block. Um, iCal uh, or CalDAV rather um, Mm -hmm. is another building block. Um, but beyond that, I mean, it's difficult to get that kind of connective tissue, um, especially because that connective tissue can become a dependency of its own. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, anyway, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. So search is still on search is is still on for, uh, uh, for a nice management tool. Although the good folks at, uh, uh, GTD agenda, uh, which mm-hmm. you can get at gtdagenda.com. Um, they, this had never happened to me before. They emailed me and said, uh, oh, hey, we, you know, we heard the show. Um, we heard you wow. complaining about re- Remember the Milk, and um, we can offer you a free trial for this uh, GTD Agenda tool. Um, I thought that was kind of nice of them, so we'll include a link to their stuff in the show notes. I haven't checked it out yet, um, but frankly, I'm just flattered that they asked. So um, Yeah, I'll, that I'll was really that. nice. And, yeah, and so we'll give them the flag. Free advertisement for them, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. yeah, but I... Uh, I, I've been using. I did a little bit with uh, Google, Google Keep, and and it was okay. But it seems like the app has more features than the web page, um, and and it's still missing. It. I think there's a lot of room for feature enhancement. Like it. It seems to be very sparse in terms of features, and I worry that Google's going to walk away from that. Um, you know how like sometimes they'll have their spring cleaning and stuff that isn't as popular gets wiped out. Where it seemed like Google Keep was positioned to be like the Evernote, like an Evernote replacement. Where right. I've been playing with Evernote a little bit, and I've I found it to be pretty good. Uh, and it's, but still, I I wish you could almost combine Evernote and make it more Etherpad like, mm-hmm. right? Where mm-hmm. it's like I you know we can cl- like if you could take Etherpad and make an app of it that can connect anywhere. I th- and and then store stuff offline uh, or somehow um, mm-hmm. and maybe that defeats a purpose from the collaboration standpoint. But I I think that would be really powerful. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, yeah, I've 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 often fantasized about like an Etherpad with like a Dropbox backend, mm-hmm. um, which would be a good which would be a good start there. Um, but you know, it's interesting. I was just at the this last weekend. I was at the East Austin Studio Tour. Um, so. Uh, once a year, a bunch of artists in town will open up their studios so people can go visit. And it's, you know, there's probably like 130 venues. Um, it's a really, you know, it's a big, uh, it's a big festival. So, uh, my wife and I are, are tooling around town, uh, visiting all these artist studios and I'll find stuff that I like. And of course I want to like document and remind myself of stuff later. And I realized that, well, I can't really take like text notes, like describing the art that I want to go see later. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be able to take a photograph and then, have all those photographs kind of filed somewhere along with my notes 
um, so that I can get them out. And it made me think like, oh, maybe I, sh maybe I should be taking a closer look at Evernote. Um, but then it, I couldn't figure out how to elegantly link like my Evernote, that Evernote kind of capture of text and audio and, and pictures, link it up with my regular workflow in Remember the Milk. Um, and then I just collapsed into a neurotic mess um, mm. and started watching TV. <laughs> well, don't forget too, we talked about Hackpad, um, which is like, it's uh, very much like Etherpad and it does mm. integrate with Dropbox. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, but, that's right. But the problem there is that, oh, to integrate, you know, you link it now Hackpad can see all of Dropbox as opposed to <laughs> a directory, yeah. which that's where I sort of backed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is, that is, oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's not their fault. It's more of a, I don't know if Dropbox yet has the functionality to say that this, that, you know, that I'm sure it's inevitable where they'll say that this directory uh, I want to share with, um, uh, with with Hackpad, and and if that gets and and I could set the permissions up such that if it gets compromised, that's okay because um, I'm not yeah. having important things. Well, that's actually the default behavior. So from what I understand, when applications connect with Dropbox, they have the choice of giving themselves their own sandbox, um, mm, which is okay. which is which goes into the apps directory in in your Dropbox account, or you can give it access to your entire. Well, like mm. all your your whole Dropbox store, uh, but there's no, but nothing in between, right? You okay. it either gets its own sandbox or the whole thing. Well, I'll have to see. Uh, maybe maybe I looked at it before they added that ability, but before it's like when it was asking me for permissions, it wanted the whole. Mm. It wanted to see all of Dropbox, and I'm like, no. Right, right. right. Um. So another another follow up. Uh, our good friend Will Cordis mm. um, had some luggage recommendations for us. Yeah. Um, he pointed us to some extremely well-designed luggage uh, from Flight 001. Mm. Um, we'll include a link to that in the show notes. Um, some really good-looking stuff, and uh, a lot of the a lot of the packing kind of tools that they that they sell on this website um, have this great uh, this great attribute of having a front and a back. So mm -hmm. instead of just having like uh, a garment bag. Uh, the garment bag is actually split in the middle, so you can put the dirty stuff on one side and the clean stuff on the other. Mm, okay. Um, yeah. And I know some some of the Eagle Creek packing tools have the same thing. Anyway, super good idea. Um, I wouldn't buy a packing uh, system unless it had this double sided thing because you don't want your dirty stuff messing with your uh, your clean stuff. I I just use the bag um, in the hotel room, the the dry cleaning oh, bag. Oh yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. right. Works every yeah. time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I know that you are a big travel efficiency like you even like you know we did we had that meeting the other day where you're talking about timing yourself uh for for uh packing and all that um <laughs> that's right um and and so did you ever which so it's like you you said that and then i i saw that you mentioned the the flight zero zero one luggage and how it's like it's for the casual traveler they probably wouldn't appreciate it but for somebody like you you would be like all over it because it could shave like 30 seconds off your packing time or something, yep. you know? Yep. And, uh, and, and, uh, it just, the flash in my mind was the, uh, housekeeping Olympics. Do you, you know what that is? No, I don't. What is yeah. that? Yeah. So this was like a thing that it was like a perk to like the hotel service industry, like to, um, motivate housekeeping people. Um, you know, it's sort of like a reward for them that they would have these trials and then send them, send people to nationals, basically how fast somebody could, um, make a bed. Um, hmm. 
Yeah. So and so it, you would get like people like the fastest people in the world of being able to make hotel beds. And uh, and and so they have like different events for, you know, with this, the Olympics. So that's like making beds. Another one is like running the vacuum cleaner and all that, where I can imagine if they had a uh, um, like a travel uh, Olympics and, you know, timing somebody who would pack really fast, you would be like gold medal contender, you know, oh, it's yeah. like, yeah, because yeah. you, no, you I, have yeah. such a system nailed down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I like to think I'd be world-class. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or at least, at least 1%, right? Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I'd put money on it. Put me in coach. Yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. Put you in first class. <laughs> yeah. So you got some more, more follow-up though. Okay. Yeah. So, um, Boston cops, remember the satellite or I'm sorry, the, the Seattle police were putting up stuff to track people with cell phones, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But, you know, it's like they could track people. So now, um, the Boston police are outraged over plans to watch their movements using GPS. <laughs> RIP irony. Yep. yep. Oh, it's terrible. So what's the, what's their objection? Um, well, so let's see. One of the things that they claimed is that departments are going to have to confront the chilling effects that this surveillance may have on police behavior. No so kidding. on one yeah, so on one hand, police departments are likely to see a reduction in many kinds of undesirable behaviors involving abuse of discretion. However, um, as we've seen in other areas involving continuous and price, precise surveillance, individuals are likely to refrain from any activities that could be perceived the wrong way even if they're ultimately legal and socially desirable. Right. Okay, so first of all, I really like this euphemistic, quote-unquote, abuse of discretion. (laughs) Yes. Not that they're doing anything wrong. It's just an abuse of discretion. Right. (laughs) Yes, yes. That's what what I'm going to call it from now on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and there was was a quote from uh, a, a police officer that spoke off the record. He said, no one likes it. Who wants to be followed all over the place? Yeah, yeah, how about that? Yeah. Um, that's terrible. Okay, so maybe the solution is somebody at, somebody surveilling the people doing their surveillance on the cops. Right. Right, yes. and then you get to like a mutually assured surveillance. Right, yeah. Well, and, yeah, it, you know, there's that, there's surveillance, like you can also think like airline pilots, like, aren't they like super duper under the microscope when mm-hmm. they're working? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, you know, like, everything they say is recorded, right? Yeah, yeah, and I'm you know in the black box and all that stuff, and you know they want to put uh, you know a black box in your car for uh, you know insurance or accidents and stuff like that. And uh, mm-hmm. but the other side of it is you know like they 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 were saying in the article that uh, well, what about when somebody wants to meet with a confidential informant or something like that, and it's like that person you know they're you know, that, that puts that person at risk. Um, and the other thing that I thought about too, is that, well, what about, and we'll, we'll talk about this later in the show too, is, is ways of doing like open data and stuff like that. But wouldn't it be kind of interesting for all that surveillance data being collected? Like, remember how we talked the other week about that trail of breadcrumbs as somebody walks through a store and you can see what they look at and, you know, mm-hmm. by, on an individual basis, you could possibly get that trail of breadcrumbs for every police car and you can see if the police are always in certain neighborhoods or never in certain neighborhoods. And um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing or something criminals could use or I don't know. What do you think? 
Well, it's interesting. So my thinking on this, and maybe I've talked about this on the show before, I don't recall, but um, the Texas legislature recently passed a law that said that um, you're not allowed to use um, UAVs for personal surveillance. Because creepy, right? If your neighbor has, you know, a quadcopter held aloft and is like watching you through the window or whatever, um, mm-hmm. that's just creepy. Um, and so they outlawed it. But what that means, of course, is that only the state is allowed to have drones. Right. Which I think is double creepy, right? That's, that's the only thing worse than that would be only the state can do it. Um, and it got me thinking that maybe... Uh, maybe the solution to this is, uh, is, is, I mean, we joke about who's watching the watchers, but I think maybe that is the answer, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, in the same way that I think, uh, having citizens monitor police radios, yeah. um, it's, it, it can, can actually improve uh, police behavior. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, I was about to say that too. You have mm-hmm. the the Bearcat scanner from the seventies, right? Mm-hmm. That, yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. I think, and, and I think that, um, especially when, so if you give somebody a monopoly on violence um, and you give them the power to arrest and throw people, arrest people and throw them in jail to detain them, um, I am totally comfortable um, abrogating their privacy, mm-hmm. right? Um, that yeah. seems like a fair trade to me. Um, and in fact, I think it's even more creepy if we said that they had all of this power and that um, they're untraceable. They were, so yeah, somehow untraceable or, you know, that that's going to have some kind of a chilling effect. Well, yeah, it should have a chilling effect. Like, I think a chilling effect on these guys is totally fine, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, if they need to go meet a confidential informant, um, those are edge cases that could probably be, you know, worked out administratively. But um, I think on general principle, um, this seems like a great opportunity to, this seems like a great democratizing opportunity, right? Um, Yeah, that's what I think about that. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Into the news. Uh, so there's a new GovLoop report um, on the agency of the future featuring open source. Uh, we've got, we'll include a link to that in the show notes. Um, it's always nice to see open source in the news. And actually, open source is in the news a bunch um, this week. We'll, we'll talk later about some of the awards uh, mm-hmm. for some of our, our friends in open source. But um, our friend Matt Mycini hooked us up with a link to... Um, uh, speaking of watching the watchers, uh, the TSA, uh, that their performance or of the TSA screening is actually not better than like a coin flip. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Like, like you could take somebody out of a TSA line and flip a coin and you would have the same chance of, of figuring out whether they were trying to bring something bad in. Um, as if you sent them through this extremely expensive TSA screening process. Wow. Yeah. Well, and I think that, what is what is that saying that that they have to be right all the time where the terrorists only have to be right once and and so they're in that they're in a uh uphill situation to begin with in terms of you know I, yeah see i i'm getting my thinking on this is a little soft but i i increasingly less tolerant of that kind of thinking where we say like, yeah. well, they only have to be right once and so we have to build you know we have to build a basically a perfect system at mm-hmm. great expense yeah. Um, and at uh, both the financial expense and the expense of personal liberties, um, in order to prevent this one event from happening, that seems like a false choice, right? Um, mm-hmm. it seems like if, if that's the scenario you've painted, um, you're not thinking about it hard enough. So we, we are doing this for airports, right? And, and I've heard things of people doing it or the TSA doing it for 
other places, right, other venues. Uh, but I can imagine what if there's a big tragedy at a shopping mall um, and then all of a sudden all the malls are on lockdown. And you it, and then there's this huge expense that goes into that. Um, yeah. And or things like school shootings. And, you know, I, I know that there have been a lot of things on ballots as far as like, oh, well, then that's happened locally here where um, our, our the citizens willing for a tax increase to put a police officer at the schools. Um, and would that be, would that discourage anything or not? I don't know. Um, and you know, compared to the expense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's just, and humans are just bad also at estimating this kind of thing. Um, we're just bad at, we're, we're bad at, uh, predicting the future. Um, we're yeah. bad at estimating risk. Um, and we tend to put weight on, uh, we tend to put weight on the wrong stuff. Right. Yes. Um, and so we're just, we're just like bad at, like just at, the human brain is bad at planning for these things. And so, um, I would like to see a little bit more like rigor, um, applied to, to questions like these. It can't be just say the NSA's responsibility for, or I'm sorry, NSA, TSA's responsibility for security. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would think too, that if you say that, oh, well, TSA is going to do it all you know, it will be expensive and they will try to be perfect and all that. But I think having, you know, you think about open source and like a community way of doing things, having a, you know, the citizens, it's like, oh, I see something funky going on, you know, maybe reporting it and all that instead of just saying, oh, well, I'll leave it up to TSA to do that. So I think it's also a cultural thing of, you know, looking out for each other or if things go bad, you know, it's like you're sticking up for each other. Yeah, but it, well, again, our, like our ability to estimate the effectiveness of that stuff is really poor, right? Um, yeah, you because, can't, you can't. So right, it's, it's it's almost like you know you need to be able to act upon it right away. And and citizens like, oh, if the building's on fire, well, you got to go in and and help people and not wait, not you know, just leave it up to the fire department to figure out. Mm-hmm. But there are like heavy political incentives to say, well, we spent forty billion dollars on the security infrastructure. Um, even though it may have only added 10% to the effectiveness of the overall regime, right? Yep. Um, even if 80% of the work is people calling the cops when they see something bad happening, um, mm-hmm. it's difficult to not justify the $40 billion, especially if you've already done it once. Um, it's hard to scale that stuff back um, yep. because the, the consequences for, you know, if, if the TSA was dismantled um, in the next budget, um, then if there was an attack... Uh, there would be political hell to pay, right? Yeah, um, you didn't. We didn't spend enough. Yeah, right. Exactly. Which is why, the, the, which is why it's so perverse and so difficult to unwind um, mm-hmm. once you've once you've set uh, set a regime like this in place. Yeah, that's why I'm glad I'm in computers. Yeah, yeah. Where there's no security or privacy concerns whatsoever. Right. So, uh, so Twitter, um, and this very carefully worded and actually super technical article. Uh, about this improvement they made to their infrastructure. Um, the moral of the story is they've made it a lot more difficult for the government to secretly spy on what their users are doing. Yeah, and they, right. they didn't say government. They didn't say government. Um, yeah. But actually, well, so technically what they did is, so everyone knows that there's like secure, there's you know SSL, right? Secure ways of talking to websites. Um it recently came to light that the NSA was making a habit of basically stealing companies' keys um, so that uh, it didn't matter if the traffic was encrypted, they would still be able to listen in, 
right? Yeah. Um, well, or the other thing too is it, uh, you know, it's that what you could possibly do is just while you're you can sniff the network and just collect all the encrypted data that's coming along, and then it, at some time in the future, you're either able to crack that encryption mm-hmm. or through court order get the private keys. And once you have the private keys, you would be able to decipher everything that you've collected over time. So Twitter recently announced this kind of countermeasure against government surveillance. Yes. And they didn't say government in the thing. It was, it said about hackers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. General, generally speaking. (laughs) Right. Um, and so the, so the Twitter for a long time has used SSL to create like a, secure connection between their users and their own website, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what's the improvement that they made on top of that? Yeah, so they're implementing what's called perfect forward security. Sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, what? Uh, uh, do, you, do you want to explain that to folks who may not know what that is? Yeah, no, so it's, uh, so it's security that's uh, basically perfect um, in a forward direction. Right, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, so that's the, nice. <laughs> done. <laughs> next next item. Um yeah, so perfect forward security. That's where um like if I was able to do something like Wireshark or whatever and sniff packets coming across a network, even though they're encrypted, I could still collect those packets. And down the road, if if eventually, you know, computers become fast enough where that encryption strength is strong enough, I would be able to um, you know, decrypt all that stuff that I've collected over the years. And um, the other way is that I could get simply a court order for the private keys from that company and uh, or hack and, you know, steal the private keys for that company. And once I have those private keys, I would be able to um, basically decrypt all that traffic that came through and that I've I've collected. So it's one thing to collect it and you could just decrypt it later, whether through court order or through hacking. Um, but perfect forward security uh, prevents that from happening, where um, a, a session key is negotiated at the time, and uh, um, once that session is over, it's you're not going to be able to uh, replay that traffic, even if you had the private keys from that company. Okay, got it. So that uh, even if they were to capture the traffic in 10 years' time, when computers are a squazillion times faster, it wouldn't matter because it would all be because um, uh, it would all be switched up anyway. Right. Well, that's that's again assuming that you know even if you had the private key, but I'm sure that there would be ways to crack the security if there was like some weakness or brute brute force, you know, quantum computer sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if somebody handed you the private keys, you still wouldn't be able to to replay it. You'd have to figure out other ways to crack that. Yep. Yep. Got it. Okay. Um, so in other cryptographic applications, yes, um, there is a thing called bitcoins. Yes. Yeah. Um, have we have we talked about bitcoins on the show before ever? No, no, we haven't. So we, maybe we should maybe we should talk a little bit about what what bitcoins are, just like thirty seconds. Um, yeah, just to orient folks. Yeah, um, so it's what peer to peer currency. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. uh, is an, an anonymous digital or mostly anonymous digital currency. Um, so you take your cash, uh, and the bitcoins are actually uh, like cryptographic hashes. Um, yes. So. Uh, instead of being backed by silver or gold, uh, bitcoins take uh, computer time to create, um, yes. and so that's the scarcity that you're that you're trading on. Um, and so bitcoins are have become extremely popular uh, with uh, drug dealers, of course, 
Mm-hmm. Um, extremely popular with nerds. There's a, there's a lot of legal questions around how bitcoins are supposed to work and exactly what the what the government's attitude towards these bitcoins should be, or they, how are they regulated, um, uh, things like that. Um, yeah. So, but your wife, but your wife found a link to this uh, uh, to this news about kind of a reasons why the government would want for bitcoins to be used. Yeah, yeah, and and they're also worried about. Um, there's another article too on top of that that talks about how um, you know they're using Bitcoin is kind of scary because like you said, drug dealers or child pornographers or whatever are, are using that as means of payment uh, or terrorists for that matter. But, um, but if the government goes too hard line with it, it, it may either go underground or um, other countries may say it's legal and, and uh, you know, and you know, maybe it shows up in China or something like that. And um, the, the government will have even less control, but you know, to me, I, I'm surprised that the government is, like, kind of okay with Bitcoin, considering how, like, other people have tried to do, like, their own currencies, and they just went in and smacked them down really hard, um, mm-hmm. where it was more of a physical currency. Right, right. Well, there was something that you could identify and seize in a way that you it's very difficult to do, right, if you're, yeah. um, uh, if it's kind of all digital. Uh, yes. becomes a, becomes much more difficult to, to regulate. Um, but in order to make it move it from the digital world to the physical world, our good friend, Tony James turned us on to only coin, right? Yes. Yeah. So this is, it's, uh, pretty interesting. He pointed, he wanted us, uh, wondering what we thought about this. So it's this thing about the size of a credit card. Um, but you can actually program it, um, to store, uh, your credit card information. So it would be, the credit card number, the expiration date, um, and the CVV number, um, mm-hmm. and um, and so you have the, it has a magnetic stripe on it, and you're able to um, you you pick you go on on the card and you just cycle down. And say, oh, I'm using my American Express. So whenever you swipe it, it'll give the credentials for American Express, and then oh, I'm going to do I want it to be the gas station card. Well, you change it to that, and you could use that. Um, hmm which I thought is a very uh, skeuomorphic version of currency. Right. To an extent. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. But uh, to me, I think there are a lot of problems with this implementation. I don't, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on it? Um, it actually, what are, well, my first thought is that it reminds me of how of it's Google wallet, right? Um, that's how the yeah. Google wallet tool works. Is it um, when you swipe your, your chip, in front of the credit card machine, uh, it actually presents itself as a MasterCard. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically the same, you know, the same kind of mechanism. Um, I've, you know, I've tooled around with you know, using these kind of digital cards, or uh, and yeah, they're not anywhere near as convenient as you want them to be, right? Um, I suppose they'd be convenient if you like literally like lost your wallet and your cards, um, yes. and you needed something to fall back on. But, um, but yeah, I, I can't imagine using them on a, on a regular basis. Yeah, and and I was looking at the website, and I, I just thought of a whole bunch of problems with this. Where, um, you know, a lot of times vendors actually want to see the physical card, mm-hmm. you know, the, to see that it's a real card, or they want to look at the signature to make sure the signature matches. Um, mm-hmm. And I and and if I could imagine, if I hand a, a waitress this funky looking card, they're going to be like, "What the heck is this?" And they're not going to know, you know, yeah. what to do with it. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is that. The only way that you could program it is that you use an app on your smartphone, and then you have this uh, square, you know, you know, square the mm-hmm. card thing. 
Um, mm-hmm. it, it's this thing that plugs into the headphone jack with a, car, a credit card swipe. So you swipe your American Express card through this thing that connects into the audio jack, and then it'll basically collect all that information and then pump that into an, uh, you know, your smartphone. Um, so your smartphone will hold all of your credit card numbers inside of it with expiration dates and CVV numbers and all that stuff, which scares me, right? I, sure. You know, because um, that's you know, you know we've talked on previous episodes about how insecure that is. Uh, smartphones mm-hmm. are, um, and then the other problem that I see is that this card can only hold eight cards at a time, which to me is. <laughs> Like it, it's it's almost comic. Like we keep adding limitations to this thing. We keep like talking about how complicated the implementation is, and I'm trying to figure out exactly what the advantages are. Like I've yeah. completely lost sight of why you do this in the first at, place. At, at most, there's <laughs> you know it, it it's going to hold eight cards, which is to me that you know it's like it's like I'm thinking of Bill Gates and his 640k quote that you know and that that's all everybody's going to need, but. You know, they were saying that, oh, well, it could store all your credit cards. It could store your, you know, loyalty cards and all the, you know, your Marriott, you know, all, all those cards and everything. But I have more than eight in my wallet. And if the whole goal is to, you know, reduce all the cards in my wallet down to one, this doesn't solve that problem. And then the other part is it's not waterproof. It's it's water resistant, but it's not waterproof. <laughs> so if I'm traveling... And somehow it gets wet, um, it's ruined, and I don't have any credit cards with me. You know, because it's like if it works for you and then you leave all your credit cards at home, then it, um, you know, to me, it's like, it, then then you're like really in trouble. Does I, yeah, I don't know. This seems like a terrible idea now. Yeah, and that's why I also don't, and it only lasts two years. Um, and then the battery dies, and then you have to throw it out. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to tell me that it also gives people cancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I can bet you that the only coin people will not be calling us up to do a sponsorship. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I, it's like, I, you know, it's something that's going to die in two years. And, you know, knowing how much we travel, if it gets wet or we've had it for two years or you know, we've talked in the past about your car getting stolen. Um, yeah. And uh, to me, it's like so many ways that this could go wrong. And that's the other reason why I don't even do stuff like with Google Wallet, because knowing how quickly cell phone batteries die and all that, I you know, I don't want my phone to be dead, and that's my only method to do payment. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, it's, it's kind of nice to have a physical credit card that doesn't need a battery and doesn't stop working after two years. Yeah, but I, you know, also I imagine that there was a similar conversation around credit cards when they were first introduced, right? Um, yeah. It's just a matter of getting a kind of a critical mass of people who who consider it, you know, kind of like a cultural norm um, in order to make it successful. Uh, yeah. Anyway, terrible. Um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I, I, to me, it's like if somebody, if I was a venture capitalist and they brought me this business plan, I would be like, no, thanks. I, yeah. I don't know. Um, all right, I'm sure the market will sort these guys out. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, events uh, this week. So I was I just I was in San Antonio this week. Um, ninety minute keynote. Ninety minute keynote. It was an Iron Man. Um, it was actually it, it was great. Uh, it was 
the I moderated a panel and uh, did a keynote, which was really well received uh, by um, uh, it was mostly an Air Force event uh, down in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Um, not a community that I know very well, and so it was great to meet a whole bunch of new people. Um, so made some new friends, uh, got to visit with a, with a handful of old ones. Um, it was a good, really good experience. It was a great crew of people. Um, so yeah, the Alamo Ace event. Um, I'll, I'll, I think I'm going next year. It was fun. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it's close to home too. Yeah, that was the best part. That was yeah. the best part. So how was uh, how was supercomputing? It was it was really it was cool. It was interesting because um, there were, you know SGI was there and and I this is one show that I've never hugged more people at a trade show than <laughs> than at, and at this show. You know, it's like hey, how's it going? You know, and and you know it was like really cool. And there was a one lady from SGI that I haven't seen for like, you know, since I, I left uh, almost seven years ago. And she's like, hey, how's your daughter doing? I remember she was real little. And, you know, what's she up to? And, I'm and it, you know, for me, that's like Dave bait. And I'm like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so that that was just fun there. And um, in the NVIDIA booth, um, uh, they were showing off how, Red Hat and NVIDIA were working together to do GPU pass-through to KVM virtual machines. This is relevant to my interests. Um, tell me more. So how do they, how do they, I'm actually curious. So the, uh, how do they do it? Is it through, is it like, is it actually like PCI pass-through? So the, mm-hmm. um, so the, the virtual machine gets access to the PCI bus and then can get at the GPU. That's how they do it. Instead of using like a proxy in between. Yeah, it's it's very much that way. Like you know, historically we've been able to do pass through of of NICs and pass through of fiber channel devices and InfiniBand and um, you know things like that. Um, but GPUs are a lot harder uh, because um, uh, you know they're more than just PCI Express cards because they they're intimately tied to like the BIOS you know and and so it's it's kind of funky. Um, so you know I the the engineer that uh, um, at Red Hat, that's been working with them, his, was there. I got to meet him, um, Alex Williamson. And uh, if people want to try that out, I believe it's in Fedora now. And uh, and uh, you know, we're looking at putting that into our virtualization technology eventually. But you know, it's right now. It's a lot of baby steps. Where you know, the first thing people want to do is like timeshare with mm-hmm. GPUs. Where that's going to be really, really hard. You know, you can't have like ten virtual guests sharing a, a GPU. Um, because right now it's the, the the a GPU is extremely fast, but uh, a by sixteen connection uh, PCI Express connection is relatively slow um, to be able to load that pipeline up and all the data up and and to do that context switching you got to flush everything out. Right. So for now you got it's got to be very like one to one correlation dedicated. Um, and there's no good way of partitioning it. Right. No. Yeah. No. Not 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 today, but mm-hmm. over time, I'm I'm pretty optimistic about it. Yeah, um, I mean, enough people want to be able to do this, right? Um, yeah. That, that, oh, it, yeah. It'll absolutely. get solved eventually. Yeah. And and right now, it's the kind of thing that you know, for in the near term, you could do things like GPGPU could be pretty compelling. Um, mm-hmm. so all that stuff is pretty cool. And then I, I did a panel with uh, uh, Robin Goldstone of Lawrence Livermore and Hoot Thompson from NASA and Shabendu Ghosh from Red Hat. So that was. That was pretty cool, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, and then uh, met up with uh, uh, Ben Woodard, uh, who's our on-site consultant at Lawrence Livermore. Mm-hmm. And did you know that he has a DeLorean? Yes, I did. I did. Yeah, it's it's magnificent. 
Yeah, and so Lawrence Livermore plus a DeLorean. I wonder if he gets like free flux capacitors there or. Oh yeah, work. and it, and and all the gigawatts he needs, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. That is cool. That is great. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, what what's next for you? Uh, my next trip is out to Las Vegas. Um, maybe my least favorite place to go visit uh, in the mm. country. Yeah, it's, oh, I hate that's like suicide capital of the world. It's just terrible. Uh, but yeah. uh, but of course, like big venue for for conferences. And so, yes. um, I'm actually excited about the show though. It's the uh, Gartner Data Center uh, show. And so, um, uh, based on the success of the Gartner IT Expo uh, that I did, I guess about a month ago in Orlando, um, I get to go to Vegas and basically do them and uh, do a do a talk over there. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. The the IT Expo show was was uh, fun enough. Um, I got I got high hopes for this uh, uh, for this show in Vegas. So that should be cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah what about and then, you? Well, speaking of local events, uh, mm-hmm. December fifth is the Akron Linux User Group, and uh, one of uh, uh, one of the great participants there, uh, Patrick Regan, um, he's going to present on free IPA, and uh, I might I might be helping him out a little bit, uh, throwing in some more color, but. Uh, he just got started with it and uh, wanted to talk about what he's learned. So um, it's funny. He said that he budgeted all kind of time to learn how to do it, but it was like so disappointingly easy and fast to set up that it's like he was done. And now he's using the time that he allocated to work on it to actually learn some of the more um, you know deeper uh, technologies and features of it. So that's, I'm looking forward to that and working with Patrick because he's a really good guy. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So, oh, Fedora 20 is out the door. Yeah. Heisenberg. Heisenberg. Yep. Yep. So that's, that's like really soon. The beta's out and it should release, um, probably in time for Christmas stockings. That'd be great. That'd be great. And I could Uh, deliver that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And then, uh, rel six five out the door too, right? Yeah. Do, do I sound any different? Uh, you sound uh, you sound more accomplished somehow. You sound smarter. What what is that? What's that do about? I, do I sound more like scalable and secure? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really do. You sound you sound uh, you sound uh, you sound like you're you sound like Sweet B good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know if Skype is using Sweet B cryptography right now, but it could because um, it's I'm running this on um. Rel 6.5 right now as we speak. I upgraded my system last night, so it's nice. running like a champ. And there are a couple of quirks that um, I've been experiencing with my uh, Lenovo laptop for a while, and 6.5, they went away. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Right on. Uh, yeah, so there's a bunch of security stuff in this release, right? There's uh, SCAP 1.2, uh, yep. which is great, uh, especially for Sean Wells. Um, yes. <laughs> we got the uh, elliptical curve cryptography and the, and the Sweet B uh, crypto. Uh, so that's all yep. in there. And actually my favorite is, uh, that SSH is actually smart card enabled now. Yes. Which yeah. Is- I, it's, I feel like they dedicated this release to our public sector customers. Cause it's like so chock full <laughs> right. of things we've been either that, or they're like, they're just getting tired of you and me going up to Westford and, and haunting people. And just like, <laughs> when's it going to be in there? And, and, uh, it's like, let's just shut them up and just That's do right. it. You know, yeah, rail six, five yeah. is the get Dave and Gunner off our back release. <laughs> yeah. So now we got to come up with a whole new list of complaints. So no, we're going to go to 
dgshow.org and file their grievances, we will carry them up to Westford. That's right. Um, so if folks want, uh, want to learn more about ECC, if you're not familiar with that acronym, um, if you don't know what Sweet B is all about, uh, you want to learn more about the smart card enablement, go to dgshow.org. We've got some links to uh, some of the some of the RHEL 6 highlights. Um, also, I just learned from uh, our virtualization expert, uh, Rob Washburn, um, mm-hmm. that there's a bunch of improvements to the V2V conversion tools. So yeah. converting virtual machines from one format to another. Uh, turns out that we can now do it from uh, the Citrix Zen server images can now be converted to KVM. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got like CPU hot plug support and a bunch of other stuff. Um, anyway, it's a, it's, you know, it's as usual, uh, the, even the minor releases of RHEL are, uh, are often notable. So uh, yeah. definitely go check out all the new stuff. It, what, that and yeah, new version of LibreOffice too. Oh yes, it's yes. been rebased, and and that's what's cool is it. It's like I just did a yum upgrade, and it just worked, um, mm-hmm. it, which is great because you have this solid foundation of of what you need. But um, it's not like you know doing an update and and praying that it, nothing blows out, and you got to spend all kind of time you know fixing stuff. It just works, so it's that nice combination of refreshing things but built on a solid foundation that doesn't really disrupt things mm-hmm. so i love it yeah totally um so also in red hat news uh our services organization released a bunch of videos on the OpenShift and openstack work that they've been doing um and i encourage everyone to go check out the this agitprop because uh these videos feature uh red hat consultant brian harrington's magnificent beard uh, yeah it is really it's epic uh yeah it's like three feet long. Um, yeah, did you ever go to the that? Wasn't there a beard contest you were going to? In oh Austin? yeah, 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 yeah. There's a there's a there's a, a beard and mustache a competition in Austin every year, and uh, Brian could uh, he's right up there with him. Uh, yeah. it's really great work, Brian. Um, nice work on both your op- open shift work and on the beard. Nicely, yeah. nicely done. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yep. Uh, let's see. Also, we've got uh, our friends at Autonomic Resources uh, have some good news. Um, yep. They got the first uh, FedRAMP approval in the Department of Defense uh, yep. for their for their ARCP uh, infrastructure as a service offering. Um, so you got FedRAMP, uh, which the civilian agencies have been using for a long time. DoD obviously has different needs, but they wanted to also use the FedRAMP security regime to get their stuff accredited. So there's like a DoD variant of Fed, or addition to FedRAMP um, and Autonomic, just like they were the first people through regular FedRAMP. They're, I think, I believe they're the first people through the DoD FedRAMP process. So congratulations, guys. Nice work. Nice, nice. work. Yep. Yeah. Um, oh, and uh, this week in sycophants, um, our boss, Paul Smith, yes. uh, vice president of the uh, U.S. public sector for Red Hat, uh, won, uh, is a recipient of the FedScoop 50 award this year. Nice. Uh, so nicely done, Paul. Great work. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then also in awards, uh, Fierce Government IT uh, has their Fierce 15 for 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that list, it was like a... It was like a hall of fame for open source guys. Um, yes. You got uh, Matthew Burton at CFPB. Um, you got Michael Byrne, uh, who's the chief geospatial guy over at FCC. Uh, you yep. got Doug Mon over at the, uh, at the home at Homeland Securities, uh, uh, open security technologies group. Um, Jason Kahn, uh, the godfather of the ozone widget framework, uh, Keith mm-hmm. Trippy uh, at DHS, uh, who, kind of like single-handedly moved all of the DHS websites over to Drupal running on mm-hmm. Amazon. Um, just a great collection of folks. Um, so if you want to get a kind of a snapshot of who's kind of on the cutting edge 
of a uh, federal IT uh, go check out the uh, the Fierce Fifteen. Uh, congratulations, yeah. guys! Nicely, nicely done. Yeah. Well, and speaking of customers, we like uh, let's let's talk about uh, FCC a little bit. Oh more. yeah. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that. So you did a podcast with Michael Byrne from FCC, and I mm-hmm. I did a panel with him where he was a participant. Um, awesome Super guy. Super nice guy. So nice. Such High energy. Such, yeah. Totally. And like really passionate about what he's doing. And, you know, a lot of times people talk about open source, but he's actually an open data kind of guy mm-hmm. um, yeah. where, you know, he's he's doing stuff with collecting data and getting it out there and um, being able to, you know, he's doing stuff with using GitHub to process the data and all that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I thought he was a uh, really, really cool guy, a really innovative guy. Um, but what, what was your experience with him? Oh, he's great. No, he's uh, wonderful. He you know, you get one of these people who are uh, who are just kind of unencumbered by traditional <laughs> traditional approaches. Yes. Um, so he so the FCC produces maps uh, all year long. Uh, they just keep you know they turn up maps for regulators. They turn up maps for the media, um, and a lot of their stuff is like geospatial work um, because they mm-hmm. have to work out you know this radio frequency is available in this metropolitan area, and this is where the border stops, and this is where the other and so on. Um, so it used to be that these guys trafficked in PDFs all day, uh, but mm-hmm. Michael has moved them to a, from what I understand, like an almost totally digital workflow. Um, you know, a lot of it being run out of GitHub. Um, mm. So using GeoJSON, uh, just a real simple like JSON markup language for geospatial data. Um, he throws this GeoJSON up on GitHub and then has web apps uh, render it. Like it's super simple. Um, a really modern way of solving this problem. Uh, it's, you know, he solves the problem the way a 22 year old kid with a goatee would solve it. Um, yep. and, uh, it's really cool that, uh, so when, a the recently they, uh, I forget what the news story was, but they released this, um, they released this new map, uh, which was newsworthy for, I think it had to do with the broadband policy. Um, and usually they would ship a PDF to the news agencies, but this time, uh, they didn't ship them. They sent them to a webpage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when the media reported on the story, they didn't embed like a PDF or like a photograph of the PDF or something like that. They actually embedded the web app that Michael's team had created on their, um, uh, on the article, mm-hmm. uh, which is really cool. So the articles are using kind of, you know, like up-to-date data, uh, from, from FCC and made it like a lot more interactive. Nice. Anyway, super cool stuff. Um, so, no, so now, uh, the, the folks at FCC, they've released, uh, this Android app, right? Yeah. 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 So, um, like, you know how you always have the, the ads from Verizon or AT&T, Oh, the best coverage, best mobile broadband network and all that, or you see their coverage map and, um, you know, it's like you, you hope it's right. Or is that the best case scenario or whatnot? Um, this app is very much like uh, speedtest.net. Um, I don't know if you, I'm mm-hmm. sure you, you've used that. Oh, and sure. many of us, uh, well, many of the listeners have where, you, know, you can do a bandwidth test, but instead of all that data going to um, speedtest.net, you could actually uh, FCC can you know you could run this app, and uh, the FCC will uh, the, the app will run on your phone, and then uh, send the data back to the FCC, and then they can um, you know see whether the the uh, the vendors are living up to what they're uh, what they're claiming in terms of speed and availability and all that. So mm-hmm. I, I thought that was pretty cool and. So they could they could choose to run the test once or have it run occasionally in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really neat as a way to get, you know, you I think how expensive it would be for the FCC to do a commission to pay 
like people to go around and drive vans and run right. speed right. tests and send that back. And, you know, it's like crazy where, where this is a really cost effective way for um, the SEC to inexpensively collect data um, to make sure that, you know, the coverage is right. And I can imagine that the, that in some ways it could possibly upset the carriers because, you know, it's like, it's showing, you know, it's showing the real data, right? But it also can give them a zero-cost way to figure out where they need to put more towers. That's right. Well, and it's also a nice, uh, it's almost like a weather service, right? Um, it's an, it's, yeah. uh, it can also be an early warning system for the FCC uh, to find when carriers are throttling connections. Yeah. Um, yeah. When they are, when maybe they are not supposed to be. Um, so the, uh, just a great tool and a really nice, um, anyway, it's great to see the FCC apply modern methods um, and kind mm-hmm. of crowdsourcing uh, to a pretty complicated problem like this. Um, I think the kind of top-down approach to this would be just prohibitively expensive. Um, yeah, so. and I, I also think that you, know, you think about the major carriers, right, like T-Mobile, Verizon, Sprint, AT&T. Um, they're going to have a certain quality of service. It's probably the, you know, the best that they could offer, whereas they're doing a lot of the um, MVNOs where they resell mm-hmm. bandwidth, but I've also heard that from people that work there, um, that um, the they actually throttle the bandwidth and quality of service for the the MVNOs. So mm-hmm. you know, like you go to Smart Talk or whoever, um, and it claims that oh, we're using AT and T's towers, but that is a true statement. But you may not be getting the full quality of service that you would if you were an AT and T customer. Right. And so hopefully the granularity of this information will tell you what the MVNO's quality of service is too. Because a lot of times the MVNO will make claims or they'll give you the AT&T coverage map. But if it's, if the quality of service is crippled, um, that's really not an accurate representation. So this would be a great way for to see whether the MVNO's are, are getting the quality that they can claim. And in many ways that could be a way for them to go back to the the main carriers and say, look, you're, you're hosing us. You're, you know, you're throttling back the quality too far, uh, and it's less useful. So I, I think that's great all around. I'm really excited about that. I agree. I agree. That's wonderful. Yeah. 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 And one of the things building on citizen source data, um, like on, on the panel that I did uh, with um, uh, Robin uh, uh, and, and with Hoot, um, you know, we were talking about um, large government data sets and, and citizen sourcing of data. And one of the things Hoot brought up um, is that, uh, like NASA is generating tons of data, like all you know, and so are all the other agencies, right? And and a lot of it, like with what Hoot is doing at NASA Goddard, it's all climate data, so it's not like necessarily top secret data or anything like that. Um, it's stuff that he would love to share out to people, and he said it would be a great idea if, say, Google would be willing to. Um, take that data and host it and and it would actually be a business opportunity for whether it's Google or Amazon or whoever they could host that data for free but they could make money for it through people doing computation on that data. Hmm. Oh, what a good idea. Yeah. So and and because the problem that that like NASA has is it's like they've collected it but how do they make it publicly available whereas, you know, we all know that you know, Amazon and and uh, Google and all those guys know how to handle big data and put it out there. And it would also not be very cost effective for um, 
you know, it's like if, if it was hosted out on, say, Google, and for somebody to do right-click, save as a terabyte, um, that would take forever and probably not be cost-effective. Whereas if they could just um, pay a couple bucks to run a job on uh, Google servers or on Amazon servers, uh, people would be all over it. So um, that was a real inter- interesting discussion that we had there. That's great. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Um, so no, speaking of, of big data, uh, Dropbox just announced that they bought this supercomputing startup, which is so weird. Uh, do you understand why? The, so they bought PyCloud, right? Yes. Yeah, I never heard of PyCloud until this article. Yeah. I had neither. So they must have gone. They must have gotten them cheap. Um, yeah. <laughs> so ah, who knows? I paid so, them in Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, so what is what is Dropbox looking to get out of out of this PyCloud guy? Yeah, and that's what that's what people were like wondering. Um, but I, so you think about oh, supercomputing and Dropbox. Why does Dropbox want to be a supercomputing company? But again, if you think about it, if I could get all of my data and stick it up on Dropbox, it's a lot easier for me to send the compu- send an algorithm to Dropbox to run than it is to copy all the data down and then use it on my local supercomputer that I would need to buy. Um, so I, I think that's yet yeah, that's something that's going to be compelling. And one of the things that they're working on is you, having some APIs. Uh, and and so who knows? Like maybe you could send a MapReduce job to Dropbox and have it run run across all the data that you have. So you know maybe I collect all this data on you know my laptops or even citizen source data, stick it up on Dropbox, and then send uh, an HPC job uh, uh, you know algorithm up to Dropbox and then it runs somewhere or maybe, maybe it runs on Amazon and the data is stored on Amazon and it all happens there. So I think it's very related to what we talked about, uh, at that panel with Hoot. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine doing, um, like background, like OCR jobs on images. Um, uh, I can imagine doing, um, trans, uh, uh, transcriptions of audio files that you upload to Dropbox, stuff like that. Uh, I can imagine that being tremendously useful. Oh, speaking of that, um, one thing I forgot to mention, uh, Shibendu was on the panel too. Um, And one of the things that he mentioned is that we do um, MapReduce jobs on our customer support data. I did not know that. Yeah, which I didn't know that either. And and hopefully that's public information because (laughs) he said it at the panel in the public. So I presume that's public data. But one of the things that, and, and so we're doing that to, um, get a better idea of uh, support trends. Um, so, it, and that's one of the really neat things, like with Red Hat, is that you know you use open source software. Oh well, I have a problem. I could do a Google search, and I could, I could, you know, maybe I'm getting the right answer or not. But nobody is doing MapReduce jobs on email lists and and chat sessions um, to better improve products, right? Yeah. Whereas we are, you know, so we're looking for ways that we can get ahead of um, support trends and and uh, deliver a higher quality experience. So I thought that was pretty fantastic. And, you know, again, hats off to the, the great work that Marco Bill Peter does with his team as far as being so innovative with our customer support organization. Yeah, I agree. That's great. Uh, all right, Dave, I want to let you get to, get to your Nexus 5. Um, I, I, I can't imagine what you're feeling right now, having had to stare at this thing for the last, you know, 45 minutes. Um, you, want, you want to send us out with, an, with, a, with, a, with a nugget, with a pearl of wisdom, with an aphorism? 
Yeah, so um, what I want everybody to do, so I'm, I need to get back to my Nexus 5, and so I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. But what you need to do is go to the show notes. Uh, so go to dgshow.org, so D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org, and you're going to see a quote from uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And, and it basically, it's uh, the credit belongs to the man in the arena. Um, it's a really cool quote where it, it talks about um, you know, it's not the critic that matters. It's more of the person who actually has the courage to get in the arena. Um, and they're marred by dust and sweat and blood and striving valiantly. Um, and, and so they don't care about what the critic does, but it's a person that gets up and they fail and they come up short again and again, but, um, they ultimately succeed. Um, and, um, and so I highly recommend that, that, uh, people check that out. Yes, it's wonderful. I I recommend as you read it, uh, imagine it being read to you by Ron Swanson. Uh, yes, yes, it's a it is an extremely manly quote as you would expect from Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, yeah. Um, great. Uh, so if you uh, if you want to check the show, the, check out that quote. Go to uh, dgshow.org. That's D as in Dave, G as in Gunner. Show and we will talk to you all next week. Yep. Bye, everybody. <laughs>